Do babies have a natural instinct to sleep? Getting a better understanding of what my partner needed and what my children really needed, that's made a huge difference. Yes, yeah. otherwise I could get a little bit overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, I think lots of parents can relate to yeah. that. You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt. In February this year, I was deeply moved by an article written by comedian Michael Ian Black for the New York Times titled, The Boys Are Not Alright. It was in response to a mass shooting at a Florida school, and part of what he wrote that connected with me was this. Too many boys are trapped in the same suffocating, outdated model of masculinity, where manhood is measured in strength, where there is no way to be vulnerable without being emasculated, where manliness is about having power over others. They are trapped and they don't even have the language to talk about how they feel about being trapped because the language that exists to discuss the full range of human emotion is still viewed as sensitive and feminine. We're living in a time when we're more and more aware of toxic masculinity. Of course, the most extreme example of that is the mass shooting, but we see it everywhere. And yet I'm not exactly sure how I can change this trajectory for my son. Clementine Ford's book, Boys Will Be Boys, is an attempt to change the future for boys today. Hi, Clementine. Welcome. Hi, Siobhan. Pleasure to be here. How did you feel when you found out you're having a boy? Uh, I felt confused, uh, mainly because I felt certain that my body would only produce a girl. <laughs> um, but I didn't. I didn't feel disappointed at all. You know, I just felt confused and then nervous. And I felt nervous because I, you know, especially with the work that I do, I'm a, a feminist writer and I write a lot about the issues that Michael Ian Black was talking about in his piece. Um, I was nervous that the world would the world's response to the white boy I was bringing into it would be to kind of infuse him with entitlement and privilege and all of the things that um, are kind of explained away by that phrase, boys will be boys. That when a boy hits you, it's because he likes you. Um, that boys are naturally kind of rambunctious or boys, boys, uh, they do things without thinking about them and it's fine because it's just boys being boys. The way that boys will be boys is used to excuse or explain away sexual violence or to minimise it or to say that somehow it's not really that thing because it's just a boy being his natural self. Um, so I was nervous about all those things and, and how to challenge it because, as I say in the book, it's very common for people to worry about having daughters because they know what uh, you know potential risks face their girls, but far fewer people worry about having boys um, because they don't assume that their sons will ever be responsible for that pain. And of course, this is the one thing that men who perpetrate violence against women all have in common, is that they are somebody's son. Did you feel the pressure of expectation in a way as well? Like you had all those questions for yourself because you've been challenging them and thinking about them and writing about them for so long. But then you've got everybody else watching you. You've mm. got all those wonderful trolls that just <laughs> seem to wait My for friends. you. Yeah, your friends online. <laughs> My friends online. <laughs> um, and even those who are your supporters, does it um, have an extra layer of pressure on you, that expectation that as a strong feminist writer that you're going to sort this stuff out for your own son? I don't think I feel the pressure of expectation but I do feel, um, particularly from my online trolls, my friends online, um, I do feel that they are looking for any 
excuse to um, use my son against me or to threaten me with him. You know, the things that they, the the kind of ownership that they take over him is really disturbing and, and disgusting, really. I don't ever say his name publicly. I don't post photographs of his face anywhere online, but I will post photographs of the back of his head, say. And I know, and I've seen posts uh, shared by these particular people who um, will insist that the fact that I have him in a pink jumper is child abuse and, you know, comment hundreds of comments then underneath these photographs of him saying that I need to have him taken away from me, that I, I'm damaging him, that, you know, I'm causing him psychological harm, that someone really needs to intervene. You know, I've seen comments where uh, one man was saying, oh, my wife and I would be happy to take oh him God. on and look after him and make sure that he's brought up right. And, I mean, those, those things are just really repulsive to say anyway, but there is a... F- I'm not scared of them generally, but there, I guess there's always sort of like a flicker of fear that someone might be just scary enough to try and do something about it. You know, Unhinged I know that enough. I know that they've kind of coordinated to. Uh, this sounds like paranoia, but I promise you, it's not because I've seen them say it. Um, I know that they've coordinated to report me to docs for child abuse, saying that I should be investigated for abusing my son. That, of course, as a feminist who writes about men's violence against women, I. I'm absolutely raising him to hate himself. Um, you know, even even me saying that, knowing that there's a possibility, because again, this is something that they've done, of them taking that one little sound bite out, bite out and saying, see, this is her admitting that she raises him to hate himself. Um, I've had men say to me, uh, and just give your audiences a little bit of a heads up that I'm going to say something quite distressing. I've had men say to me that I'm the reason that my son will kill himself one day. Um so to know that there's, that I'm trying to kind of not just not just prevent him from becoming kind of indoctrinated into this sort of mentality of masculinity, but also to protect him from the harm that it causes is like a huge responsibility. Um, so it's not so much the expectation that I feel, it's the weight of responsibility. You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Clementine Ford. Her book, Boys Will Be Boys, is out now, September 26. And um, I was talking earlier about the Ian Black article where he's he sort of touched on the lack mm. of direction for young boys, how a pathway for them to become healthy men. And even though I know there are people speaking about it, it still feels to me like there isn't one big movement to address this, that um, even though we hear time and again the problems boys face, no one's really charting a path for our boys to take that they can take with confidence Mm. and we can know they're going to end up with a healthy sense of who they are. Do you know why this doesn't seem to be something that's galvanising people to action? I think people have always felt far more comfortable trying to change the way that women behave in order to somehow prevent bad things from happening to them, as if that works, then they have addressing the fact that it's boys' behaviour and it's, and it's masculinity that needs to be challenged. Um, in terms of, you know, when it comes to those things, girls are treated like a homogenous group that, that needs to sort of assume responsibility for these things, whereas boys are treated as individuals. And it's not fair to malign individuals. It's not fair to say to a boy, oh, well, you need to be responsible for helping to dismantle violence against women because he didn't personally do it. You know, so I think that that's really the first tricky challenge that people face is understanding that it's not about the individual. It's actually about structural 
expectations of masculinity. And, you know, a good example of how this kind of plays out is that Mike, Michael Ian Black uh, did write a beautiful article about the lack of, of guidance for boys and the, the way that anger in men is, you know, he was writing specifically in response to a, a shooting um, and the fact that the shooter was yet another young, uh, usually white man with um, issues of anger around what they feel they are not being given, you know. And when you kind of look at this sort of expression of violence, um, there's usually a pattern of violence against the people in their lives, mainly the women. A lot of There's a lot of uh, violence expressed um, in these school shootings, for example, where um, in, in the one that Michael Ian Black was responding to, where one of the first people that the boy shot and killed was a girl who'd rejected him. You know, there's um, a website called When Women Refuse, which which charts the circumstances of violence that women experience, uh, some of which are fatalities, when they reject men's attention. You know, so women, people are very comfortable with giving girls and women really mixed messages about how they should respond to men and yet not comfortable with addressing uh, the, the root cause of those things. But Michael Ian Black has that one perspective. And then when Louis C.K. made his comeback recently, you know, after only nine months of kind of just staying out of the public eye, Louis C.K., of course, finally admitted after years of refusing to even tolerate the conversation that he'd been sexually harassing colleagues in his industry, female colleagues and, um, uh, you know, engaging in sexual misconduct. I don't know how how frank I can be on (laughs) on a kid's station. Um, And sort of had a very short self-imposed exile and decided that that was enough and was supported by, you know, thousands of men in his comeback. Oh, yes, finally, Louis C.K. is back. He's not going to let this stop him. And Michael Ian Black was one of them. You know, so there's we need to kind of address that sort of subconscious hypocrisy as well, that you can, in the one breath, express the desire to see men explore healthier understandings of, of their role in the world and healthier understandings of where their entitlement begins and ends. And yet at the same time, you can champion a man who has done nothing to make amends for the fact that he caused significant emotional and structural harm to women in his industry, who just decides, well, that's, that's a long enough time. He shouldn't have to suffer forever. The, the fact is we don't actually create any kind of system of punishment for men who engage, with, who engage in the most common form of sexual misconduct, which is sexual harassment. Um, and Louis C.K. is a really good example of that. You talk about gendered clothing in the book, and I'm happy for my son to wear dresses, princess dresses. Child abuse! (laughs) That's right. Um, But I do worry, even as I'm doing it and I'm supporting him and his choices, I do worry how other people will respond Mm. to him when he's out in public. I mean, how do you deal with that kind of reaction as a mother? So you want him to have the freedom of choice, Mm. but you on your own can't change the way people will respond to him or how he will feel about their response. I think it's just another example of how we worry about kids will be bullied in general or how we worry in general about our children being bullied. You know, my son wears lots of clothes that are traditionally associated with feminine colours, but I dress him in really practical things in the wintertime, you know, like leggings, girls' leggings, of course, um, because they don't really make them over a certain age for boys. (laughs) Um, and you know, in summertime, he still wears a nappy and I find it easy to sometimes on a hot day, have him in a dress cause you can change the nappy easily. And also it's, it feels nice to be in a dress. Um, but yeah, like I, I think that it's people attach so much importance 
to clothes and what they mean and how they allow you to code someone. You know, if, if I... If I assume that that child is a girl because they're wearing a dress and then I find out they're a boy, I've somehow been caused like an egregious embarrassment, you know, or or that's it's just wrong, you know. It's just clothes. And one of the best lessons about that that I learned actually came from a child, a small boy who enjoyed wearing dresses and skirts and who had like an amazing sense of self-confidence that I just think would be wonderful if all children felt this way. Um when he went to school and was, and this was shared in one of the mums groups that I'm in, when he went to school and was teased about wearing dresses from some of the other children because he was wearing quote unquote girls clothes, he responded by saying, these aren't girls clothes. No, he said, there's no such thing as girls clothes or boys clothes. These are just clothes that I like. And I thought that was so great. You know, sometimes it's clean, uh, cliched and twee to say, but sometimes you do learn the best lessons from kids and their kind of like untainted view of the world. So we need to be focusing more on teaching our children that, not just about themselves, but also about other children, that there's no such thing as gender markers and and nor should they be important, that there are just things that people like. And um, the fact that we code girls, again, quote unquote, girls clothing in particular as being some kind of negative is really interesting and speaks to how we kind of perceive femininity and perceive the step down that boys are taking if they try and channel any aspects of it. Because gender-neutral clothing is typically clothing that is associated with boys. You know, it's pants, it's it's shirts, it's jackets, um, it's androgynous uh, base, the baseline, of course, being things that are masculine. Um, so I think that it's important for us to challenge those concepts and challenge those notions in our own head and challenge our own unconscious biases. Speaking of unconscious bias, I am very aware of not saying things to my son like um, don't throw like a girl mm. or telling him to stop crying or stop crying like a baby. All of those things are really obvious to me. But what concerns me more is the unconscious bias I have from my own upbringing, my own socialization um, that I'm not even aware of. And maybe language isn't the best example of this, but one thing that did happen was when my daughter was young, I got a book on um, body uh, safety and how to be secure in her own body. And I read it to her and I made her kind of memorize the rhymes, etc. And then I got to a point where I looked at my son and I thought, I haven't read that book to you. Mm. And I know he's a second child, but that's not why I didn't read it to him. He's a boy, so you don't have to worry. I didn't even think that way. And well, it, this is this mm. is what I was saying about how people perceive differently the dangers that are posed to them by their daughters and their sons. That people do try and prepare their daughters for a world in which they might have to fight for their safety one day, but but are far less likely to try and prepare their son to not be one of the people that she's fighting from. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, those, it's that expectation that we have of boys' ability to move freely through the world not only doesn't help them, but it also reinforces that freedom, you know, that I think it's really important to raise boys to understand that even no matter what the world might tell them about their structural privilege, particularly white boys, no matter what messages they might be receiving about that, that the most important things they need to work on in themselves are empathy, respect, and um, an understanding that they that they have no birthright to privilege, you know. Um, and people get confused when they hear things like that because they think that what that means is that you're raising your son, telling them that they're like 
they're worth nothing, you know, that they're worthless, that they don't deserve anything good, which is ridiculous. Those, you know, the opposite of one is not the other. Um, but to, to raise everyone with empathy and kindness is important. To raise them to respect people's bodily autonomy is important. And to understand that they can't just have whatever they want, even though they see other men around them taking and having whatever they want, I think is a really important thing for us to teach them. And I should say that I, you speak so lovingly and adoringly of your son. <laughs> I have no doubt that he's going to grow up to be a really good example of healthy masculinity. Clementine, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much for covering this topic, Siobhan. It's one that's very close to my heart, so I really appreciate it. That's all for Clementine Ford. Her book, Boys Will Be Boys, is out now. And Clem is also touring the country during October. So if you'd like to see when she might be in town near you, just search for Clementine on our website. That's kindling.com.au. You've been listening to Kindling Conversation. If you enjoyed it, there's plenty more where that came from. Find other stories and interviews at our website. Just head to kindling.com.au.